0: We've come to speak about the second episode of Ulysses, which takes place in the school in which Stephen taught, and we've come to the house where the school actually was, in which James Joyce actually taught, so it's generally assumed that this is the location of the second episode of Ulysses. It's in Dorky, and uh, it's on a corner near the quarries. The house probably would have been lived in, and the extensions would have probably formed part of the school.
1: There was a hockey field there. Huh? Oh yes,
0: yes. But I believe that that is where we're standing, and a road has been built on that. Oh. The grounds, I think, were considerably bigger from the description in the episode. So it's roughly about half nine, and when the episode opens, Stephen Dedalus. I I can't say he's teaching, he's conducting a class more than anything else. And we get the names of some of the pupils, Armstrong, Cochrane and Talbot.
2: You, Cochrane, what city sent for him? Tarentum, sir. Very good. Well? There was a battle, sir. Very good. Where?
3: The boy's blank face asked the blank window.
2: Fabled by the daughters of memory. And yet it was in some way, if not as memory fabled it. A phrase then of impatience, thud of Blake's wings of excess. I hear the ruin of all space. Shattered glass and toppling masonry, and a time, one livid final flame. What's left us then? I forget the place, sir. 279 B.C.
3: Asculum, Stephen said, glancing at the name and date in the Gorsgaard book.
2: Yes, sir and he said, another victory like that and we are done for.
0: He is a very junior member of the staff, obviously, and can't really put any uh, discipline on these at all because if any of their parents complained about him, he'd be out like a shot off a shovel, so, and he appreciates this. Nor does he care very much? No, he doesn't care either. I mean, he doesn't put any effort into his teaching and, strangely enough, he's teaching Roman history. Death of Pyrrhus, and of course, even today, I would say a lot of people still remember Pyrrhus through Pyrrhic victory and uh, what he said when he had won. And it is one of the cliches uh, another victory like that, and we're done for. Although the details are not evident to all of us, and nor are they to any of the pupils either.
2: You, Armstrong, do you know anything about Pyrrhus? Pyrrhus, sir. Pyrrhus a peer?
3: <laughs> <laughs> All laughed. Mirthless, high, malicious laughter.
1: One of the students doesn't know what pyrrhus mm-hmm. is, and he associates a with a peer. peer, and then, of course, mm-hmm. the teacher, as I'm
0: like, going to say, what's a peer yeah. to keep yeah. it going. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and he says, a disappointed bridge, which to me is not... A, uh, uh, Stephen uh, says a Stephen disappointed Stephen says, bridge, yeah. yeah, but it's, it's not a terribly clever thing to I say, know. as far as I can see, but yet uh, Stephen seems to think that it's fit to go with uh, the cracked looking glass of a servant and all those other clever sayings that in spite of him having cut the nose off, yeah. Haynes when he offered to do a collection of them he he then says he'll repeat it tonight and he's storing it up in yes. his head. And the
1: disappointed British isn't very didactically really useful
0: to them. pupils. Well the pupils don't them. know yeah. what he's talking yeah. about, he must have been a very peculiar Which may be film. some comfort for us because <laughs> we're faced with things like that too <laughs> yeah. And then seamlessly they go on to do English. I mean, how long was the class going? We're told later that it, it stops at ten because there's hockey. So he's done history of a sort, and now he's doing English, which is Milton's we
3: Weep no more, woeful shepherd, weep no more, for your sorrow is not dead, sunk though he be beneath the watery floor.
1: And is about somebody who drowned, Ground, so that yes. is echoed to him. Yeah. Yes, it,
0: the it is. Then history, he regards the possible of becoming the actual, that's what he thinks. And then to round off the lesson, he gives a riddle.
2: The cock crew, the sky was blue. The bells in heaven were striking eleven. Tis time for this poor soul to go to heaven
0: the answer to which is a fox burying his grandmother under a holly bush
1: which has no relation to, to the riddle at all.
0: Yeah. I don't speculate but I would say that the, the boys found him a peculiar teacher. I was surprised then to see a boy staying behind who is obviously a laggard who is not very bright and who had got his sums wrong And Stephen looks at him and has great sympathy for him and sits down and actually tries to teach him something, explains it to him very gently and is very nice to him. The boy doesn't respond, I must say that. I haven't got the feeling that he really has the algebraic knowledge and Stephen gives up after a while and says well you better go out and join the others for hockey that's, uh, but that's it's it. a very tender side it, see, is, it, it is, it is, yes no, that's what I, I meant to say That uh, we, we've seen the impossible person in the tower and now we're seeing someone who is capable of real feeling where there's nothing to be gained but of course maybe it's part of it that he sees his own childhood reflected in the boy that's in front of him
3: he held out his copybook. the word Sums was written on the headline. Beneath were sloping figures, and at the foot a crooked signature with blind loops and a blot.
2: Cyril Sargent, his name
3: and seal.
1: Mr. Deasy told me to write them all out again, he said, and showed them to you, sir.
3: Stephen touched the edges of the book.
2: Futility. Do you understand how to do them now?
3: he asked. Numbers 11 to 15 Sergeant answered Mr Deasy said I was to copy them
1: off the board sir
2: Can you do them yourself Stephen asked No sir Ugly and futile Lean neck and tangled hair And a stain of ink A snail's bed Yet someone had loved him borne him in her arms And in her heart
0: And of course he thinks again Of mother's love Subjective and objective The love of the mother and the love for the mother. So he then goes into DC's office. Stephen is waiting for him, he's looking around and seeing the things that are on display in the office, shells which are useless, Stuart coins, which are even more useless, pictures of race horses on the wall. All these things reflect in some way on DC. But DC comes in and pays Stephen's wages which come to £3.12 shillings and again it's not clear what period of time this covers it's derisory if it's for a month's work but then we don't know what Stephen does and we could understand Stephen's lack of (laughs) <laughs> initiative <laughs> he's getting three pounds twelve shillings for a month, but then maybe he's only there for an hour in the morning. It doesn't or look as though he had the regular hours and long hours. No, there, no, it just. doesn't, it doesn't. No. He, and I don't think he'd want it anyway. He gets the three pounds twelve shillings, that's the important thing. And he's told to put money in his purse, but he recognized that as a tempter too. The quote from Iago DC then asked him, What is the greatest boast of an Englishman? Of course, Haynes comes to mind, but uh, Stephen, of course, uh, thinks of uh, "I have an empire on which the sun never sets" or something to that effect. And anyway, he he asks, comes out with the answer and says, "I paid my way." Of course, it's what every imperial power doesn't do; they conquer the country and then get the money out of it and make other people pay. And DC starts talking about history he seems to blame everything on women as well yep. anyway, Stephen thinks it's over and it's going to go, he's called back DC says he has a letter he asks Stephen does he know any other and Stephen says he knows two slightly evening telegraph, that'll do so he finishes the letter we don't know exactly what's in the letter because we just get Stephen scanning it and it's about foot and mouth disease and it's full of cliches no good. Anyway, Stephen takes the two letters. They discuss different things, and like Haynes, D.C. turns out to be very anti-Semitic. He blames the Jews for a lot of things, and Stephen, remembering his Paris days, remembers the Jews on the steps of the stock exchange. thinks of them, well, they're making money, that's about all. Wouldn't anyone do that? And then he thinks, anyway, in the heel of the hunt, all wealth is going to be scattered. It's an allusion to gather it because someone else is going to scatter scattered. Uh, D.C. seems to think that all history is aiming towards the manifestation of God, and just then there's a, a goal scored and there's a, a shout on the playing
4: field, and uh, Stephen says, that's God. The ways of the Creator are not our ways, Mr. D.C. said. All history moves towards one great goal. The manifestation of God.
3: Stephen jerked his thumb towards the window, saying,
4: That is God. What?
3: Mr. D.C.
2: asked.
0: A shout in the street, Stephen answered, shrugging his shoulders. more or well, that's what? (laughs) A shout in the street. Stephen then goes off with the letters and is going to go into town, we think, and just as he's nearing the gate of the school, uh, he hears D.C. calling after him, and he says, "Not more letters, I hope." Uh, although he has been very respectful to uh, D.C., and uh, D.C. comes here up and asks him, obviously half joking,
4: "Ireland, they say, has the honour of being the only country which never persecuted the Jews. Do you know that? No, and do you know why."
3: He frowned sternly on the bright air. Why, sir? Stephen asked, beginning to smile.
4: Because she never let them in,
3: Mr. Deasy said solemnly. <laughs> a coughball of laughter leaked from his throat, dragging after it a rattling chain of phlegm. He turned back quickly, coughing, laughing, his lifted arms waving to the air.
4: She never let them in, he
3: cried again through his laughter as he stamped on gaitered feet over the gravel of the path.
4: That's why.
3: In this chapter we have
1: history, of course, which is about power and all of that and conquest and invasion in in the case of Irish history. It's also about hierarchies, who who is higher than others, who dominates. And the previous chapter had three young men who were more or less peers, but here Stephen as a master over the students is a bit higher. And he is, again, employed by Mr. D.C. So we, we get some rank. Not that it's quite upheld. It seems, in many ways, the students seem to be better off from better families. But Joyce puts his characters into different constellations. That's what I like to, to point out. And as I say, the, the emphasis here is on history, in the example of Roman history, why certain things are Worth, and again how doubtful all these records and, uh, and reports are and as you said both chapters end with what looks like a new threat that Jews so far not regarded very high or important seem to be coming in and is seen as a danger um, certainly here the theme of Jews is introduced in both cases towards the end
0: And, of course, the irony of that is that Jews had been in Ireland for quite a long time. And within, say, 30 years before, the main migration of Jews into Ireland Mm -hmm. had occurred. And he had established their own quarter in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And Mr. D.C. must have known that.
1: Or does he just not care enough? uh, We we don't know again, though. No. But, again, it's not
0: reliable what he says. Yes, but you see, is it fair on the reader to present things as though they are facts? I mean, we just look at Mr. D.C. No. and we see him as a headmaster. Mm. I would assume that a headmaster would be familiar with history, no. for instance. But every instance he gives is wrong. Yeah, he says one of his ancestors mm. came and
1: voted for. Union or against he, it, uh, he gets yeah, it wrong. He right? gets it wrong, and he never gets it quite right. Yeah, I think that's quite important. I mean, he has a kind of view which is basically not history is to blame, but women women are to blame. He starts with
0: Eve, mm, yes.
1: then Helen of mm, Troy, Troy. Who was abducted. Yes of course he gets a lot of blame in the in in Homer too must say that and then he has this episode of the Norman invasion yes, uh, yes, with the names that you can pronounce much better than <laughs> I can
0: MacMurray hmm? and the yep. uh, yes, and, and there he gets it wrong and coup, he gets hmm, a yep. sort of yep. there but Joyce I think to a certain extent is cheating and making it much more difficult for the casual reader yep. because if you don't know yep. the history yep. You'll think that he is quoting history and all these things are right. He might as well be talking about some of the South American revolution, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, you wouldn't know. So the irony of Stephen then saying to himself, is this old wisdom? Is lost, unless you know.
2: Is this old wisdom? He waits to hear from me. History, Stephen
1: said, is a nightmare from which I am trying to awake. So, you just now mentioned that D.C. doesn't quite get it right. Mm. And I think that ties up to an important topic here. Stephen wonders why, of all the things that happened, do we remember and pass on mm. certain events? Mm. Who cares, after all, about one minor Greek king who lost mm. against the Roman Empire? There must have been many, of but we remember that perhaps because Victories that cost us more than they gain us are uh, part of everyday experience. But why are these remembered and not others? What is history? What is the tradition that we think is important? And it is made up of reports. And
0: reports can be wrong. You see as we just mm. see from DC. And Well we don't see from DC hmm? when we have the outside knowledge we see from yeah. DC. Yeah.
1: But How can you verify what actually happened? Mm. Did it really happen? Because there are also reports, some Greek historians passed this on. Did Pyrrhus ever say another victory like that and we are done for? I suppose he did not say, he didn't know English. Mm. Uh, So it has to be transported and uh, transferred and all of that. You never hear of heroic tales of the losers. Yes. And I mean, even Homer is not history of of a, of a, a real battle around. Uh, Troy, though something may have happened. Mm-hmm. So it's the question building into this, what actually did take place and how important it is, yeah. and how do we know?
0: That's it. Also, there's a certain irony in D.C. advising Stephen about his money, and Stephen thinks about Cranley having brought him to the races on a get-rich-quick mission, which he dismisses. And, uh, but on the other hand... Uh, D.C. must have a, an intense interest in horse racing, which shows that he believes in get-rich-quick things himself, in spite of all his, <laughs> I, his advocacy. of Now, king, does carabani- it mean that?
1: Aren't they sort of historical uh, famous horses?
0: Oh, they may be famous horses, but he must be interested in horse racing, or he wouldn't uh, put it off. I, I, I am again no. assuming that. I wouldn't imagine that he'd get everything wrong. And then he gets the last thing he says... Practically everything the poor man says is wrong, even his letter about foot-and-mouth disease is wrong as well. But this is not brought out by Joyce. Mm -hmm. You have to have knowledge outside of Ulysses in order to know this.
4: I want that to be printed and read,
0: Mr. D. said.
4: You will see at the next outbreak they will put an embargo on Irish cattle, and it can be cured. It is cured. My cousin Blackwood Price writes to me it is regularly treated and cured in Austria by cattle doctors there.
0: Stephen is very embarrassed by the letter because he doesn't want to be associated with the letter, really, because he anticipates the mulligan and column a Bullock befriending bad. He recognises yeah. it that it's all cliché. Yeah.
1: And and for somebody who announces to the world, as Stephen no doubt has and will that he's going to, to write poetry to be the carrier of a letter. Somebody who is so touchy about being a servant it must appear a bit humiliating. By the way, when you say, why is Stephen much more deferential, much more friendly? It might well be, now that you mention it, that in his talk to he he's sort of on the defense. He is touchy in relation to Mulligan, and he has no reason of that in the school. That might be one, but uh, I wouldn't put this on, on yes, record.
0: Yes, but, but, but uh, I know I shouldn't anticipate. But he is thinking of leaving the school. We later learn, he, so he has no ulterior motive no. Of to ingratiate himself with mm-hmm. the headmaster. Yeah, and they mm, haven't yeah. offended him,
1: as yes, he thinks Mulligan yes. has, and as Joy thought, everybody had. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Maybe this is the real side of Stephen that we're seeing, and uh, that he, he is reacting to people who are trying to use him, that uh, Mulligan is trying to use him, Haynes is trying to use him. At least D.C. is paying him for what he's doing, and he's not doing much, and D.C. is not demanding. D.C. is very mm-hmm. friendly towards mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. But says he li- likes to break a lance with him, later, as mm-hmm. he says. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen reacts to the people the way Mm -hmm. uh, they they Mm -hmm. are rather than anything else so here we see mirror image of Stephen as it were Mm -hmm. from the first chapter to the second, Mm -hmm. nice to Sergeant the boy whom he sees himself and nice to the older Mm -hmm. man that Stephen's relationship with the students that he have I have no reason to say this but my idea in reading the book is that there are about ten or eleven years old they're doing elementary things although licitas would hardly be elementary i don't see them as being any older than that stephen is rather jealous of them in one way a
3: bag of fig rolls lay snugly in Armstrong's satchel he curled them between his palms at whiles and swallowed them softly crumbs adhered to the tissues of his lips a sweetened boy's breath well off people proud that their eldest son was in the navy Vico Road, Dorky.
0: He is not in their league at all. And then, if they're only ten years old, he speaks of them never having been innocent. He watched their faces, and then he names a number of girls, and he talks about them tittering in the struggle. Now, I don't know, that is ascribing a sexual experience... To a ten or eleven-year-old, which I don't which think... Which wasn't it. usual at the time. Well no, well, no, I don't think so, and I hope it isn't even usual today.
3: Two in the back bench whispered.
0: Yes, they knew, had never learned,
2: nor ever been innocent, all. With envy, he watched their faces. Edith, Ethel, Gertie, Lily, their likes, their breaths too, sweetened with tea and jam, their bracelets tittering in the struggle he
1: feels inferiority in their sexual experience, yes. whether that's actually possible or true or plausible is mm. a different thing. Uh, they seem to know something he does not, though they're younger.
0: Yes, I, I think it is that it's the class difference more than anything else that he's, a, he's ascribing mm. all this general knowledge and general experience to it more than him. Maybe it is, too, that the Protestant. Armstrong, Corcoran, Talbot mm-hmm. and not O's or Max, and I would take it the people who lived on Vico Road and had uh, sons in the Navy were also, what shall I say, non-Catholics as they put it, so would have been pro-British and all the rest, alien from everything that he
2: is. In a moment they will laugh more loudly, aware of my lack of
1: rule and of the fees their papas pay. The Homeric label we have that choice gave is Nestor. Now Nestor was the oldest among the Greek leaders of Troy. He always Told about the former times, and he was a bit of a bore, and that is what Mr. D.C. does too. He even says, I saw three generations, said, well, that's what Nestor says. Nestor is a tamer of horses, and we have all these uh, horses on. There. there is not, again, there isn't uh, all that much except tales of long ago. In my time, they were better and, and things like that, and he rambles a little bit.
3: Framed around the walls, images of vanished horses stood in homage, their meek heads poised in air. Lord Hastings, repulse, the Duke of Westminster, Shotover, the Duke of Beaufort, Ceylon, Prix de Paris, 1866. But I have one tiny thing,
1: the horses on the... And some are named. They must have been famous. There's a whole, I uh, think, mystique about horse racing, and, and their names are, are there, um, Ceylon. And then it says Prix de Paris, 1866, and it goes on like that. So obviously that was a horse that won a prize in Paris at the famous race. But Prix de Paris could also be deflected to Helen of Troy. (laughs) She was the prize awarded in the bribe of Aphrodite if in the beauty contact that led to the war she was given first prize. So Helen of Troy is the of Paris who abducted her. Now, whether this is coincidence or a little vignette, I don't know, but it's a—it's the sort of thing that you can find. It doesn't mean much, but these things are possible. Turning uh, words up and see what different meanings they might have.
2: Glorious, pious and immortal memory, the lodge of diamond in Armagh, the to be hung with corpses of papishes, horse, masked and armed, the planter's covenant, the black north and true blue Bible, Croppies lie
1: down. What we have in the chapter is more of the interior monologue, which very soon we get quite used to and and can can accommodate uh, quite well. And we have, in relation, we have more and more of that as it goes on, so it's increasing.
0: It's a very elementary form and very easy to follow. There's no complicated jumps from one thing to another. It's relatively smooth, yeah. In, in the passage of yeah. one, I- from one idea yeah. to the other, and it's not difficult to no. read.
1: And highly articulate, which isn't always true of the interior mm. monologue later on, then. No. But Stephen is somebody who,
0: in his mind, can formulate quite well, and he appreciates language, also strange language. Mm. But at the same time, it doesn't <laughs> in any way prepare us for the shock of the third episode, yeah. which is almost entirely uh, interior monologue we